Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sing Better Sing. I'm Kales. I'm John Michael. Yeah, uh, we are siblings who teach each other about Broadway and baseball. As our tagline says, it's bonding over Broadway and baseball. Because I found out that the tagline of where Broadway and baseball meet, or where baseball meets Broadway, was taken um, by a different podcast. I know. I know. I like this better, though. Bonding. Because we are bonding. It is bond bond with each over other. Broadway and baseball, and you still get your alliteration that you love so much, Jamo. Yeah, you even get one more alliteration. I know, right? So yeah, so we're bonding over Broadway and baseball. Um, basically, if you're joining us for the first time, I am a huge theater nerd, and I've been doing theater for a really long time. And my brother, John Michael, is a baseball fan and has been doing baseball for a really long time. While neither of us do it professionally anymore, we still have a shit ton of knowledge about it. That's basically useless, but unnecessary like, amount of knowledge about an, it. Yeah, uh, yeah, an unnecessary <laughs> amount of knowledge. And so we were like, "Hey, let's do a podcast and just annoy each other with all of these fun facts about our special interests that we love so very much." And so we're going to annoy you as well. Hopefully, not annoy. Hopefully, make you laugh and you can enjoy for the next hour or so. I thought about the word entertain, but you know, I <laughs> hopefully we're going to entertain you. I wouldn't listen to a podcast if it was annoying. But that's you know. that is true. I wouldn't. I don't either. So. <laughs> yeah, but so essentially what's going to happen is John Michael's going to tell me a story and teach me about something baseball related at the start of this episode. And then in the second half, I'm going to teach him something Broadway theater related. I'm very excited for mine today because it alludes back to something I mentioned actually in episode one that you did not know what it was. And now I'm going to teach you. I know I'm excited, but you're going first today. I am going first. Did you know that in 1994, the World Series was canceled? I, why do I feel like I do know this? I actually feel like I do know this. Was there like a strike or something? Who told? Yes. Why I... We talked about it on a previous episode. Did we? A okay. Bit, a little bit. Un poco. Un poco. Okay. But we're gonna, That's we're gonna why it's familiar. So no, I mean, I yeah. don't. I did not know until this podcast. And I don't really remember why. Yeah. Well, it, it was all over a labor dispute. Okay. Oh, fine. We're going to talk about strikes. We are going to talk about strikes. We're going to talk about this strike in particular, but obviously we'll give some general information as to the history of strikes in the MLB and all that stuff. Because this 1994-1995 one is wild, dude. It is absolutely okay. wild. Like, pretty much what I'm going to go do is I'm going to give you a little bit of background information, def- define some terms, all that kind of stuff, and then we'll get into the details about this specific strike. Great. So first you want to clarify two terms. So there's a strike and a lockout. Okay, a strike is something that's initiated by the employer, which in this case is the players. And a lockout is something that's initiated by the owners, which in this case is the owners of the MLB teams. Does that make sense? Yeah. The two major, major players. (laughs) 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 The two major players. Okay. In. Strikes and lockouts, and specifically in this example I'm giving, is the MLB, which is a representation, is the organization that represents the owners, Major League Baseball. And then there is the MLBPA, which is the ML- Major League Baseball Players Association, which is the labor union. I that- had no idea that baseball players had a labor union. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's dope. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know, a labor union uh, is an organization that represents a group of workers, and it focuses on collective collective bargaining over wages, benefits, and working conditions for the members. I'm just going to say this right here and right now, that any theater person listening to this, any like self-proclaimed theater person, is going to know what a labor union is and a strike and everything from what musical? I'm asking. Uh, the one where they're like uh, newsies, that one where they're like, you know. Oh my God! Let's go. <laughs> I was like, it was like in my head, it was a picture, and I was like, okay, they're like raggedy, yeah. they're like covered in glass and dirt and suit and stuff. Yeah, I'm like, oh, right? go. And then I was like, Newsboys. I was like, no, 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 that's not right. It's not like, Newsboys. News Newsboys is that Christian band we used to listen to, but no, Newsies. <laughs> John, way to go. Boom. Uh, uh, uh. Give me some, give me some, give me some. We need like a sound effect for when I get I know, like, like a gold, gold star, star sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> or like that bas- that basketball, like, <laughs> or whatever. That- <laughs> it's something. <laughs> Good job. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So theater people might know, might not know, but 
just for anybody, right? It's pretty much just an organization that is like helps to fight for workers' rights to yeah. make sure they're not getting taken advantage of by their employer. So a uh, fun little fact, the, ML- the MLBPA was established in 1966 by this awesome guy named Marvin Miller. Um, and then he created the first collective bargaining agreement in 1968. Um, before that, um, we definitely had some really good attempts at coming up with a union for baseball players, but uh, they none of them really worked out for a variety of reasons. Um, but yeah, some names of them were the Brotherhood of Professional Baseball Players, the Players Protective Association, uh, the National Baseball Players Association of the United States. This is a mouthful. And uh, the American Baseball Guild. Uh, that was in 1946. So like I said, all of them didn't work for various reasons. But anyway, that led us to the MLBPA, which is the current organization that represents players. Now we know, we know what a strike is. Okay. That's initiated by the players. We know what a lockout is. That's initiated by the owners. Now, a lot of the time, sometimes like those two force each other to do that, right? So if one of them makes a decision, that will force the other one to take action whatever right a, a lockout and a strike they what they do is they pretty much like stop play right so they're they're what they're doing is they're saying hey we don't agree on these things so we're not going to move forward with wasn't there correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't there like a delay this year or last year over wages or something with yeah that was the most recent one was in 2021 2022 yeah that's what i thought okay cool because yeah, the season yeah, started so. late because of that yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely it was um yeah it started on december 2nd 2021 uh the owners you know decided to enact a lockout because and a lot of the time what happens is because the, the cba the collective bargaining agreement expires and so I don't really get that. And so then they're like, oh, okay, well, we're going to lock out until we figure out the new one, which is like, I don't get why we're not having those conversations before it ends. Kind of, my my assumption, I get that. But my assumption would kind of be like the government shutdown, right? So like Congress, you know about that, right? Like where Congress yeah, yeah, is yeah. trying to like plan the fiscal budget, but Congress, because right. they suck, are like, wait a minute, man, 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 fighting both sides. We can't agree. And then they get to a government shutdown and it's kind of that they have to go a couple weeks or a couple days into the shutdown in order for them to see how bad it is, the fact that they could not come up with a fucking compromise and then they finally figure it out. So I'm assuming that with the mm-hmm. CBA, something similar happens. I'm sure they were talking beforehand, but just everybody yeah. like didn't reach an agreement. So they were like, cool, we're going to blow it up and then we'll clean it up. Rather <laughs> yeah, than like, right. rather than like stopping the bomb before yeah. it blows up, we're going to yeah, let no. it blow up and then we'll clean it up. Um, there have been nine total strikes in MLB, nine total uh, stoppages of play. Sorry, nine total stoppages of play in MLB history. Okay, the first one ever was in 1972. Okay. Um, which is only four years after the first collective. That's what I was going to say. Agreement. I was doing the math there, and I was like, damn, that was like yeah. quick. Yeah, so um, it was 13 days, and the number of games canceled was 86 games. Holy shit. Yeah, that was one of the, the smaller ones, right? Oh, my God, uh, it's worse. Okay. Oh, oh, it gets worse. <laughs> We're getting all the way up to 1994, 1995, which is like wild. Just some basic general information about this. Um, pretty much the major issues were like pensions, salaries, rego- renegotiating contracts, you know, whatever. So um, the players really, really kind of got the the better end of the deal on this one. They received a $500,000 increase in their pension fund. Um, and what it did was it put into place the system of arbitration, which is basically mean that like, players could have like disagreements on their salary, right? And they could submit a proposal to an impartial arbitrator. So pretty much it's like, like you would sign a contract and be like, yep, like uh, I agree to play for this amount of, you know, play for this amount of money for this many years, whatever. But then if you like do really well and you're like bringing in a lot more revenue for the team, obviously, because you're being super successful, you can go to arbitration, which is saying that like, you want to renegotiate the terms of your contract. Yeah, that's super fair. You know, and then there was a couple other things. They raised the minimum salary to 16000 per year and, and all that kind of stuff. But interesting, crazy fact some bullshit that happened okay was what so since they missed 86 games they didn't make those up right they didn't and so play what, them again no no so they had an uneven schedule 
Oh no. Okay. And so the some so logistics ha- person was losing oh, their my shit. Gosh, dude. So one, yeah. So one thing that happened that was crazy was the Detroit tri- Tigers played one more game than the Boston Red Sox. Okay. Which enabled them to win the American League East with an eight record of 86 and 70. And they beat Boston by half a game because Boston only had a record of 85 and 70. And they won the division on the next to last day of the season when they beat Boston three to one at Tiger Stadium because they got to play one more game than Boston, That's bro. Horseshit. <laughs> so bad it's so bad yeah and you'll see like when i talk about the 1994 1995 is like the amount of just like ripple effects from from these you know all about money it's just all about money right owners and and players and all that stuff but like the amount of ripple effects that it it has on on like these historical records that can be set in baseball just because they can't come to agreement is, is fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So then 1976 was the first ever lockout that was initiated by the owners. They were upset about arbitration and wanted like different terms for that, you know? So they wanted to be like, yeah, um, you know, they pretty much define that like you can only do arbitration if you had two consecutive league years of major league service, whatever. So all these logistics um, that led into though, that then this, this really important thing called free agency, which happened in the 1981 strike. And obviously I'm skipping around a little bit. There's one yeah, in 1980. But yeah. So, um, cause I want to get to the, to the meat. I want to get to it, but, um, this is good background information. So in 1981, this was a big one. 58 total days happened in the middle of the season, June Ooh. 12th through August 9th. The number Ooh. of games canceled was 713. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, thirty-eight percent of the major league schedule was a like, third, over yeah, a third, over a third. Yeah, Holy almost forty percent. Okay, so the major issue was free agency, right? And so, pretty much what happened was there was this thing called the reserve clause, and the reserve clause was this idea that, right, when a when a team was under when a player was under contract with a team that team then owned the rights to that player, right? To be able to trade them to other teams for different compensation, you know, whether that's money, another player, different kinds of things. So the reserve clause was really some bullshit because it said that even when the player's contract was up, that the team still had ownership of them and therefore they could only be released from their, from the ownership of the team if the team allowed it. Right. So they couldn't like if your contract ended, you couldn't just go sign a a contract with a new team. The new team that wanted to sign you had to give like they had to get permission and then compensation for you even when your contract had ended. So you're still owned by the team. That's 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 not okay. Right. Right. So that was a huge thing. And that's arbitration opened the door for that conversation and all this kind of stuff. Right. And actually, in 1972, there was a Supreme Court ruling where the Supreme Court ruled that um, they ruled in favor of free agency, right? So it's it damn it well that, better because otherwise yeah. it's like some form of slavery or like job, um, like uh, uh, like job blackmail or, you know, I don't I mean? know it's what like, part of the constitution, but it was definitely unconstitutional. But yeah, so in 1972, and so they ruled that any player with six years of major league experience could become a free agent. So it was yeah. like, you know, if you played for this six years, then now you could become a free agent, you know, unrestricted, whatever. Okay. Well, so the owners got mad about that, right? And well, so of now because they, they lost control. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like a fucking human money. rights violation. Of course. Jesus. Yeah. So the owners wanted compensation. This is in 1976 again. The owners wanted compensation for losing a free agent to another team. Okay. And what they wanted to have happen, right? Right, is they wanted to say that they would get to choose one player from the signing team's roster. Other than 12 protected players that the, the signing team got to choose who yeah, that is. This is some like monopoly shit. Like, I'm oh, gonna, dude, it's wild. I'm going to trade Park Avenue for like your <laughs> brown pieces because it's like, <laughs> the, no, uh, or the it's purple wild. ones, like whatever the low, whatever. Reply in the comments what the purple ones are. I don't remember what they are. I have a copy of Monopoly somewhere. But I I, I was just like, uh, what the heck? You can't do that. 
Oh, dude, crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And so that's why the MLBPA is so important because, like, dude, before the MLBPA, like, owners could literally pretty much do whatever they wanted. It's like, selling people. It's like yeah, selling oh, humans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They just do whatever they want. And it was all for their what, how much money they want to make. Wow. Right? So... So the, the players were like, yeah, no, this uh, this undermines the value of free agency. Like, we're not doing that. OK, um, but then and what they ended up settling on was a compromise where it's like teams that lost a premium free agent, which is like one of the top players could be compensated by drawing from a pool of players left unprotected from all of the clubs rather than from just the signing club. So pretty much all the all the teams could be like, yeah, like these are all our guys we don't really care about. So like you can have any of those guys. It's like whatever. I just did one of my ca- my big eye rolls. Like what the, the hell? Give me a sound effect for that. So people I know. That um. Yeah. It's my sound effect. So, <laughs> right. Well. So and then reportedly the negotiations were so bitter that when a settlement was finally reached, the players' association rep Marvin Miller and the owners' negotiator Ray Greeby refused to pose with each other for the traditional peace ceremony photograph. <laughs> That's they're like, no, serious nah. Oh, dude, like they were just like, this is bullshit. Like, wow, no, I'm not. Yeah. So uh, some fun facts about the 1981 lockout was they decided to split the 1981 season into two halves since they missed all those games. So they're like, OK, how are we going to figure this out? Right. So act like we're going to act two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're going to split it into, into two halves. Right. And pretty much it was like then like the team of, you know, that like was winning the first half, you know, then like would play the team that won the second half. Right. Or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So then. Right. Like the weirdest bracket setup ever. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very interesting. But what it did was it actually led to the creation of the Divisional League series that we know of today. Oh, that's kind of cool. And wow. The National and the American. Yeah. Well, National American, actually, they actually were created way back in the day. They they combined to make Major League Baseball. I'm talking Uh about when I'm talking about Divisional series. Right. So right now, the current structure is you have wild card games. You have three wild card teams. Right. Okay. so what happens is you have um, the top wildcard team, the second place and the third place, the third and second place play a one game playoff. That's like okay. the only time that ever happens in bay- baseball history. <laughs> Sorry. Where yeah. you play like yeah. one game well, that's, that's, that's recent. Yeah, it's recent. That actually happened. That's a very interesting thing that actually happened because at the end, I think this was like, I think it was like six or seven years ago going into the last day of the season, the baseball season is 162 games, right? Going into the last day of the season, multiple teams were tied for, for the last place spot. Yeah. And so, um, and this is when the wild card didn't exist. So to get into the divisional series, right? Cause it goes divisional league championship world series. Yes. Okay. So they were tied for the divisional series. So that last game of the year, whoever won that, got wow. into the playoffs so then they started to create this whole wild. The, the hype was huge you know it was like everybody you know it was, it was like a playoff atmosphere but it was in regular season so they created that right to be like to recreate that atmosphere right where you have yeah. this one game playoff if you win that game then you get into the now they created the wild card series which is a best of three series okay. then the winner of that goes and they play in the divisional series which is pretty much like that the winners of each division are playing each other. Okay. Then it's bracket style all the way to the World Series. Okay. And so that strike created the division divisional separation that we have yep. today. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just from a money standpoint, an estimated $146 million was lost in player salaries, ticket sales, broadcast revenues, that doesn't, and concession revenues. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. The players lost four million dollars a week in salaries Holy and the shit. owners. Not each, but, but total. yeah, still. And the owners suffered a total loss of seventy-two million dollars. Yeah, boy, crazy, ouch. crazy, ouch, ouch, ouch. Yeah. So then there was another, you know, um, there's another stoppage of play in 1985. That one only lasted like a few days. Then there's 1990. That one lasted 32 days. 32 days. All of spring training was canceled. Opening day was moved back. That was more based on revenue distribution, which is basically like, you know, television was becoming more and more popular into the 90s. And so obviously there's more money flying around. And so they're trying to figure out how they want to, you know, establish that. They raised the minimum league salary from 68,000 to 100,000, things like that. That all being said, okay, it led up to this 1994, 1995 strike, which was just absolutely 
bonkers. I mean, it was, it was nuts. nuts. The strike began on August 12th, 1994. So it's the end it, of the season in 94. End of the season, 94. There's like a month, two months left in the season. Yeah. Okay. Which is crazy to have a strike be in the middle of the season. You know, oh, like sure at the end of the season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Right. Let alone like before, right? Most of them yeah. are happening before the season. They're trying to get everything in line so that they can have, you right. know, a good season. But then it's like, okay, you know, oh, we can't agree on this middle. They're, the guys are playing baseball. Fans right. are coming to games. Like it's yeah. the whole experience getting ready for the playoffs and you're man. in august like, too so like you're yeah, in the what, middle middle of it you're like not even two weeks into june you know yeah that's what and that's what all of the baseball fans are looking forward to right it's postseason baseball it's oh, what yeah. we're all about right and so then the strike starts okay and i'll obviously get into why it happened right but it starts and it literally will go until april 2nd 1995 that Holy is 232 shit. days okay that's that's like eight months yeah, the longest stoppage in MLB history and the longest work stoppage in major league professional sports at the time. All those poor people at the concession stands, security <laughs> all, guards, all their, jobs, all their jobs, man. And this is one of the one where the owners really forced it on the players, on the players yeah, okay. to, to go on strike. Pretty much what happened was. This was in response to a worsening financial situation in baseball. So pretty much what happened is they were losing, like they were just having lower and lower revenue. Okay. Because so the, the owners came and they sucked. I'm kidding. <laughs> that was Actually, 90. The, Rock the Rockies have a really interesting story in this. Really? Um, yeah. they, came, they only became a baseball team in 93. They yeah. were making bank. And it's, it's because they were new, brand fucking new. It's why. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Colorado didn't have a team before that. And they were playing at Mile High, which had so many more stadium seats. That's the other thing. Um, yep. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, the football stadium. Yeah. Okay? So pretty much what happened was, so the owners were like, okay, we're losing a bunch of money. Okay, how can we save money? How can we not lose as much money? We always They're kill like, people's well, jobs. That's the first answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. We fire people, we right? Do pay, no, we do pay our players a lot of money. So why don't we just do a salary cap? Like, why don't oh, we just like no. limit, limit the amount of money that they can make. Right. No. And then we get to keep all of the extra money. <laughs> no. Okay. Yep. So obviously the players are like, uh, hell no. <laughs> like, like, we did not vote for this. Yeah. No, thank you. Right. So they they tried to like disguise it under the, and they're like colluding. They're trying to disguise it under like, yeah, this new revenue sharing plan where they're like, actually, no, like, you know, this I would like to meet one kind baseball team owner. <laughs> like just one. But they're like, yeah, they're like, oh, like, you know, they're like trying to like put it under this guise that they're like, yeah, we're going to be raising salaries total and like all this stuff. And it's like, but but the underlying thing in there is like you cannot make more than this amount of money. It doesn't matter how good you are. Jeez, right? It doesn't no. matter how much revenue you're generating. That goes against for the everything team. capitalism is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. Pretty much then what happened was, right, they, they put forward this proposal that would guarantee a record $1 billion in salary and benefits, right? So they're, they're saying that like, yeah, we're going to raise it all up. But it also would have forced clubs to fit their payrolls into a more evenly based structure. Okay, salary arbitration would have been eliminated. No, they can't do that. That was already, they put that in there. They striked yep, that already. They would, yeah, <laughs> that's already that was already stroke. a part of the agreement. Yeah. Strike, stroke, they stroke, they stroke. wanted to alter free agency and they wanted to. Um, they're literally just trying to go backwards on like all the strikes that they <laughs> nope. just had. But then they're like, but it'll raise average salaries from 1.2 million to 2.6 million Liars. by 2001. Right? Liars. Yeah. Okay, so the guy at the time, his last name is Fair. I, I didn't get his full name, but his last name's Fair. And F-E-H-R. He rejected the offer. He's like, no, absolutely not. He's the head not. of MLBPA. Yeah. yeah. He's like, no, he's like, it, it's he's like, a salary cap is simply a way for owners to clean up their own disparity problems with no benefits to the players. Yeah, right? that's exactly what it is. Good job, Faye. Fair. <laughs> so then what happened? So then the players were like, all right, if you guys don't fix this agreement, like we're going on strike. Okay. Jesus Christ. So then they go on strike. So the owners don't fix it. Then they go on strike. Well, then the owners start to backlash. And it's it's just this freaking throwing shit at each other freaking mess. Okay. Then the owners were like, in retaliation, they decided to withhold $7.8 million that they were required to pay per a previous agreement into the players' pensions and benefit plans. 
You're just going to hold your money hostage. NDE. Yeah, oh, exactly. They're like that. They were trying to like force them to play to, oh agree, to the agreement to be like, yeah, like we're going to. <laughs> so, yeah. And so he's like, yeah, like, all right, we're, you know, and so they strike. Right. So like we, we pushed, we were pushed into the strike, all this stuff. So then, right. The last games of the baseball season were played on August 11th, 1994. They, they cannot come to an agreement. Right. obviously it is, yeah it, right right okay right they're offering counter proposals right and if then this goes into you know, april that's like over christmas jesus yeah yeah like right all so, season's done by that point right so the, the mlbpa offered like a counter proposal to the ownership in september calling for a two percent tax on the 16 franchises with the highest payrolls to be divided among the other 12 clubs no right Teams in both leagues would share 25% of all gate receipts. No. You know, and the, owner, the owners were like, this is not going to meet the cost that we're losing. Right. So they're trying to like, they're trying to redistribute the money from the higher clubs to the lower clubs, but it, it's, it's not. No, it's not working. It's not fucking no. working. No. Right. So the rest of the season, including the World Series, is called off by Bud Selig on September 14th. Wait, right? Bud Selig. He's the commissioner of baseball. Oh, okay. What the fuck okay. is that? The, he's the head of the, the MLB. He's pretty much the mediator between the MLBPA and the MLB. Oh, I do not want that dude's job. Oh, dude. That sounds no, like the worst job. No, you don't. It goes like president, commissioner of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not good, dude. It's not good. So Selick was commented, quoted saying that the strike had, an had torn an irreparable hole in the game's fabric. Oh, my God. Okay. Dramatic. <laughs> super dramatic it's fucking fixable just pay them the move to cancel the rest so he had to make this call right he oh was God. the one in the middle that had to be like all right like what do we do about this he's like he sees on this side he's like dang the players aren't budging mlbpa is not budging he's like dang the mlb is not the owners aren't budging he's like what do we do he's like all right we're calling it off right okay the move to cancel the rest of the season meant the loss of 580 million dollars in ownership revenue and 230 million dollars in players salary all right he's like the teacher he's like all right y'all can't play in the sandbox nicely with each other so nobody gets the nobody, truck yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody gets, gets the dump idea. truck right like oh, nobody gets it you lose your dump truck you lose your shovel you lose your yeah. sandcastle bucket you lose all the things none of you can play in the sandbox anymore sucks to suck seriously Go, like, and, like and go just, try and make a career in golf or something. Like, bye. Yeah, like having to make that call, I can't, I can't even imagine that. Well, he had. Right? What other choice did he have? No, I know, but I'm just saying he's the guy. So like, he's just gonna piss off everybody. But he's like, you guys did this to yourselves. Okay? <laughs> like, like, this is on you. All right, I just have to. We got to figure this crap out. Yeah. Before I get into how it was resolved, which is fascinating, we got to get into the reaction from like the fans and the players and like, cause he made this call, but see, it looks like it's over. We're done. We're not the seasons canceled. The playoffs are canceled. The world series canceled. It's all over. Okay. And this is what I mentioned on our podcast before. when I was talking about the steroid era and, and yeah, the yeah, yeah. that were being chased. So the Montreal Expos best season, in their history was stopped by the strike. They had the best oh. record in baseball. <laughs> 70. Yeah. I didn't yep. even know Montreal had a team. Yeah, exactly. Oh no. <laughs> they don't anymore. They don't anymore. They're the they're the yeah, they I think they phased into the Toronto Blue Jays. Tony Gwynn had a chance to finish the season over 400, the first person since Ted Williams. He was batting 394 at the time of the strike. Oh my god. Oh, this all hurts. <laughs> this hurts so bad. Yep. One of them was another one, okay, that I talked about last time was Matt Williams of the Giants had a chance to beat Roger Maris's single season home run record, right? Uh -huh. So he had 47 games left in the season. He had already hit 43 home runs and the record was 61. So he had 47 games left to <laughs> oh hit was that 18 home runs? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. I'm just breaking. It just oh, dude, dude I, just like think about all the all these are like, are you kidding me? Yes. <laughs> They're all like, are you serious? Like the players. Like, okay. Now. So that's the mostly players that we're talking about. Yeah. Like, but that, then the right? fans must and the team. So the yeah. X was the team. Then the players of, you know, Matt Williams and, and Tony Gwynn and all that. Okay. The Colorado Rockies were completing their last season at mile high and they had an attendance of 3,281,511 through 57 home games for an average of 57,570 people per game. And they were never at, popular ever that, again. <laughs> at that pace, the team would have had a good chance of drawing over 4.6 million fans in their 81 home games if the season had continued. This would have eclipsed the major league season attendance record of 4,483,350 
set by them the season so before. basically what i'm hearing from you is that this strike is the reason the rockies suck yep yep we can blame it all on bud selig uh, um the yankees are in the same situation as the as the expos dude they were 70 and 43 second best record in baseball six and a half okay so everybody sucked yes everybody got fucked okay moral of the story now it's how like did how, it? how did we fix it okay well that's just the thing they didn't <laughs> <laughs> I wanted some like kumbaya. We all came together oh, no. and like no. solved baseball's problem. You know what had to happen, McKaylee? Because these mother truckers could not figure out how to agree with each other. U.S. District Court Judge Sonia Sotomayor. Are you fucking serious? You brought, <laughs> you brought Sotomayor in this bullshit? <laughs> I'm sorry. This woman had to. I love her, by the way. Uh, yeah. Anywho. She had to come in. She was the teacher that brought up, broke up the sandbox fight and was like, y'all need to like kiss and make up right fucking now. Yeah. So she literally had to step in and put an injunction, <gasps> issue an injunction against the owners. What? Be like, be like, yo, cut this shit out. <laughs> like, because it was still going on in McKaylee. The season starts every year in April. Yeah, I know. So, so she issued the injunction on March 31st, 1995 to make sure that there was a, a season. So that like for, there could be a jobs, so the season. economy didn't like go into yeah. the Great Depression because fucking <laughs> blows up American economy. Fun of yes. fucking A. I know. I know. So so she literally had to rearrange an injunction. And pretty much what she said, she said. What has to happen is the players and owners are bound to the terms of the expired collective bargaining agreement until a new one can be reached. And the start of the season was postponed three weeks. Okay. And they had to play an abbreviated 144 game season in 1995. Oh so my those God. Were, that was what she said. She's like, all right, you guys got to figure this out. Is pretty good much for what her. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So during the 1995 season, fans were pissed. <laughs> they were. were so bad, dude. So, so, so mad. They were like, so attendance dropped by like, you know, 20% average attendance, like attendance dropping by 20%, you know, and then some funny stories, cases, okay, so some fan protests. These are just hilarious. Three men wearing t-shirts and blazons with the word greed leapt onto the field at Shea Stadium to a standing ovation and tossed $160 in $1 bills at the player's feet before being restrained by security. That just gets <laughs> you like a fucking jail sentence. Like that just <laughs> that's all anything. it does. That's all it does. Okay. In Cincinnati, one fan paid for a plane to fly over Riverfront Stadium that carried a banner reading owners and players to hell with all of you. <laughs> Fans in Pittsburgh disrupted the opening day game between the Expos and the Pirates by throwing various objects onto the field, causing a 17-minute delay before before being warned that the game would be declared a forfeit to the Expos. However, they continued to boo afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I don't care if they lose. Like, screw them. Okay. In Detroit, fans booed and hurled beer, bo beer bottles, cans, baseball, cigarette lighters, and a hubcap onto the field, causing a 12-minute delay while holding up signs saying Field of you know Dreams, crossed out with the word greed, and strike owners with a money sign win, players with a money sign win, fans lose. Jesus. You know what? The thing about that is, is what nobody's thinking about with that protest is all those poor field people that have to clean that shit up right like it's not the players going out and like picking up your hubcaps and beer bottles right right you're like exactly. big gold they're cups, not doing right? it yeah. they're not doing yeah. it it's like these poor people who work at the stadium who already have to run and clean up or like get foul balls and throw them into the audience or like crush a, oops or like crush a little kid's dreams by not throwing it into the into the audience but stands that's what it's called and it just like that annoys the fuck out of me because that doesn't it's not hitting the right people literally right. Like it's it's not those <laughs> yeah. protests are the worst because it's not you're not impacting anybody where it matters mm -hmm. so pretty much what happened right was the mlb pa came out on top so pretty much what they said was that the salary cap didn't go into place right Good. And the owners pretty much just realized that the fact that they were being so stingy about that particularly lost them $580 million. Right. And if right? they had just fucking given it up, they would not have mm -hmm. lost that much money. Assholes. Yep. 
Exactly. And so that at the end of the day, right, shows that greed is ultimately going to fail you. Right. That like if you are trying to exploit people, <laughs> you're trying to like just, you know, trying to get that extra. Right. You might try to get that extra million dollars. But by trying to do that and and hurting people in the process, then the, then you end up losing way more than you ever yeah. would have lost if they just would have agreed to 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 a, a regular, fair collective bargaining. group. So stupid. <laughs> but I just want to say it's just crazy to me because it's like just the foresight to be like, we would rather argue about this for 232 days than just compromise. Like, 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 you know what I mean? And just like, we'd rather argue about it for 232 fucking days. <laughs> but that's why divorce attorneys exist. So <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Kales, what did you learn? What I learned did you two learn? things. I learned two things. One, the second worst job on the planet is baseball commissioner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And two, I kind of already knew this one, but do not fucking mess with Justice Sotomayor. Do not do it. She's a <laughs> badass. She will solve all the world's problems. I love it. I love that she just like intervened herself. She's like, I all right, like, like mm. this is this is figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Jesus Christ, so great. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's just like it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating. It's a great story. story fascinating so interesting and very very relevant john michael <sighs> mm-hmm. did you know that the slap heard round the world at last year's oscars i know about that <laughs> was caused by a 400 year old curse <laughs> that's a good one that's a re- that's a really good one i am very ready to hear how that happened so did you know that the slap heard around the world at last year's Oscars was caused by a no, girl Kirk? No, I thought it was caused by uh, just a lack of awareness and just um, just being a dumbass. Like, nope. <laughs> we are going to talk about the Scottish play. Oh, you did mention that. I have no I idea what that is, but you mention did it. mention it. Yes. Yep. So you have no idea what the Scottish play is. No, laddie. What about the Bard's play? If I had a what's the bard is like a musical player right it's a music it's a player of music and a D character but yeah so oh yeah the bard yeah 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 the bard so yeah, i don't know what that is either yeah so chris pine was basically a bard in the dungeons and yeah. dragons movie yeah yeah solid okay. movie right b minus but do you know who the bard is like if you say the bard Daniel Bard used to be a pitcher for the Rockies. Oh my God. No, John, like no. the Bard. When they say the, the Bard. Bard, like, like the machine, Burt Kreischer. No, it's fucking William Shakespeare. He's the Bard. Mm-hmm. Why? That's his, that's like, cause a Bard is like a, <laughs> Bard is like a story. Stop rolling your eyes. I don't know anything. <laughs> okay. The Bard, <laughs> the Bard is like the storyteller and Shakespeare is really known for being this prolific storyteller. And the Scottish play okay. is Shakespeare's Macbeth. And so, why is it called the Scottish play? Well, it's set in Scotland, and you're gonna oh. learn. <laughs> okay, you're gonna learn. So it's set in Scotland. It is said that there is a curse on the play Macbeth because if the name Macbeth is spoken inside of a theater, usually during a rehearsal or a performance, it brings disaster upon the production and or the person who said it. I cannot wait to see how this connects to Will Smith slapping the crap out of Chris Rock. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. So first off, we're going to talk about the play Macbeth because you don't know it. Nope. I know you don't. So isn't it like Macbeth, Macbeth, right? (laughs) It's like a line. No, they don't. They don't say like Macbeth. No. Oh, that's like Romeo, Romeo. Yeah. Wherefore art thou Romeo? Deny thy (laughs) father, use thy name. Yeah, that's Romeo and Juliet. Um, No, Shakespeare. Different tragedy. Okay. Um, Okay. So Macbeth was published. In 1623, that's the publishing date, right? That's not the first performance date because Shakespeare's folio, which we'll we'll do an episode on Shakespeare, it's fine. But that was when the play was published, was 1623. Okay. So the quick summary of this play is it's one of Shakespeare's tragedies, so it basically ends with everybody dying. There's his there's his uh, romances, comedy, which kind of sometimes people play into comedies, which I think they're a separate genre, but romance, comedies, and tragedies. And essentially the difference you need to know is whether everybody gets married at the end or everybody dies. That's how it works. Um, what about the comedy? 
Everybody gets married. And in the romance? Uh-huh. Everybody gets married. And that's how you ended every everyone? Either everybody gets married or everybody dies. That's how it works. Every Shakespeare play falls into those two categories. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. So... This one is one of the ones where everybody dies. It's actually his shortest tragedy. So this, so it opens up with Macbeth and Banquo. They're two generals in Scotland, um, and they actually meet three witches. They run into three witches um, on their travels, and the witches prophesize that Macbeth will be promoted two, two times, once to the Thane of Candor and then to King of Scotland. Um, Banquo, they say, will not be king, but his descendants will be, which is really important. Um, when... Macbeth and Banquo go home. The king promotes Macbeth to the Thane of Corndor, just like the prophecy said. And so he's like, holy shit, am I going to be king someday? That's crazy. And then Macbeth's wife, Lady Macbeth, who's like one of the best female Shakespeare characters that all the women want to play because she's a badass. But she's also like terrifying. Um, just like Stonemaiola. Mm, no, take that back. <laughs> no, wait, just wait. So, no. Okay, I don't know. Mm-mm, I don't know. Mm-mm, just mm-mm. badass women. I don't know. Nope. Not no, not a good badass, like a murderous <laughs> badass. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, more like Sweeney Todd or like Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde, that type of like badass. Mm, um, mm, so Lady Macbeth finds out about the prophecy and she's like, I will help my husband become king at all costs. Um, so Macbeth and Lady Macbeth plot to kill the king. They like drug some guards and they plan to kill him in his sleep. And Macbeth goes to try and do it. And he feels he finds he can't do it. And his wife's like, fuck off, you pussy. Like you, you need to fucking kill him. And so he does. And she, oh, so he just listens to his wife. Oh, he one hundred percent. No, she doesn't like, kill do him. Do it. He's like, I don't want to kill him. But do it. Uh, okay. Basically, <laughs> yeah. basically. So Lady Macbeth exits him on, and he kills it. And then the murder, the body is discovered, and Macbeth trying to throw the scent off of him. He goes on this murderage rampage and kills the guards for being like, "You guys were down on the job. You let the king die. Fuck off." And then the king's sons are blamed and the king's sons flee. They run away. You caught up so far? I'm with you. I'm I'm locked in. Okay. So then Macbeth becomes king. Okay. Okay. So, but he is freaked the fuck out because he can't stop thinking (laughs) about- his wife's crazy. Well, yeah, that and like (laughs) he murdered all these people to become king. (laughs) But he can't stop remembering the part about the prophecy where it says that Banquo's descendants will be king. So he has Banquo and his sons killed. And then he sees Banquo's ghost in the middle of court and he like kind of goes mad and his wife has to like get everybody out of court and be like, pull yourself together. Like what the hell? But he can't seem to calm down. So he goes to the witches again to try and get more information. And the witches tell him more stuff. Like you shouldn't fear anyone born by a woman (laughs) and like all these other things trying to reassure him. So everybody, you shouldn't fear anybody. Hang on. (laughs) So isn't everybody regardless, regardless, though, regardless, he goes on a murderous rampage, like killing anyone he thinks could be a threat to him. And then the former king's son, Malcolm, is like, fuck this. I want revenge from my father. I want to avenge him. So he launches an attack on Macbeth's castle. While that's going on, Lady Macbeth sleepwalks and like confesses her sins and fills herself with all of this like, fuck, should I really have done that? And so she dies by suicide. And then Macbeth eventually surrenders when he learns that the head of the army that the prince la- the former prince launched was born by C-section, which is apparently a loophole <laughs> in the witch's prophecy thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he surrenders <laughs> and they cut off his head and they traipse it around and the former prince rules peacefully. That's the end of the story. And people like this like stuff. They're like, yeah, it's, it's good. great. It's so great. <laughs> so. Okay. okay. I trust, I trust you. <laughs> Okay. It's great. So, um, that's Don't they do this plays in like high schools. Don't the high schools not do Macbeth. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Okay. okay. High schools. High schools usually do like Romeo and Juliet or um Midsummer Night's Dream, which is about fairies and okay. and Romeo and Juliet because Juliet's thirteen and everybody's like, oh my god, young love, and you're like, this is pedophilia. Anywho, um, Romeo's old as crap. He's like right? nineteen. He's like- yeah, yeah. Mm. Anywho. Not great. Not yeah, great. it's weird. It's the only, do you know this? Fun fact. It's the only play where Shakespeare puts an age on a character. He specifically says that Juliet is 13 years old, but no other character in any other Shakespeare play has an age. Weird. Isn't that weird? It's that very weird. weird. It is weird. Yeah. Anywho, so the whole theory is, so this is the play, right? And the play is about greed and pride or, and power, excuse me, of ascension yeah. of t- to power and the taking of power, what people will do in order to get that power. 
Got it. Um, but the theory here is that a coven of witches were pissed off at Shakespeare for using a real spell in the play. So they cursed the show. That's where the phrase double, double toil and trouble comes from. I have heard that. Yes. Yeah. Also, the witches also coined the phrase something wicked this way comes, which Ray Bradbury's famous uh, story is based on. I've never understood Shakespeare. I don't know. It's like basically he listed off a bunch of ingredients, right? Like the eye of Newt, the finger of a newborn babe, the, you know, the. Right. Right. So it's. I don't know. I've read. I've tried to read. Okay, a little backstory. One time I went into your room and I was like, okay. And I was looking at your books because you have a lot of books. Yeah. I was like, okay. And I was like, all right, well, the Shakespeare, this is like a big theater thingy thing, right? Like, let me just pull this off the shelf. Okay. And I don't know what play it was. You don't remember? Maybe Midsummer's. I'm not quite sure. I think I just like averted from it because I didn't like it so much. But I read it and I was like, what the fuck is this? What am I reading right now? <laughs> I just didn't understand it. And then like every every time that like you've quoted Shakespeare, other people, I'm just like, I don't get this. Like what what why is it like this? <laughs> it well, doesn't make it's, any sense. So it's the way that language is oh God, it's so hard to explain. Um, <laughs> try for me. Try I, for me. There's such a, a beauty and a craft into his language and the way that he would make up words and the way that he would use iambic pentameter and the structure of sonnets and soliloquies. It, it's it's a gorgeous thing. So here, I'm gonna Wait. try something real quick. We're we're deviating. Sorry, y'all. We're deviating. But, sorry, I just need to understand Shakespeare, everybody. It's fine. Just I'll do an entire it. episode of Shakespeare, but I want to oh, do, no. I want to show you this. <laughs> so now knowing what you know about Macbeth, right? I told you yeah, the plot yes. of Macbeth. Okay. Yes. So now yes. I want you to watch this scene. Okay. Like a minute and 30 seconds. Okay. And I want you to tell me what happens in it. And if you can understand what's going on. Okay. I like it. I'm open to it. I'm 25. I'm ready to re yeah, imagine, re experience. I mean, granted, we're giving you one of the hardest Shakespeare shows ever, but <laughs> hey, I like a challenge. We're not starting with Romeo and Juliet. It's fine. So, this is from Shakespeare's Globe, which is a theater in London that they recreated Shakespeare's theater. What are these? So, whether than so wild in their attire that look not like the inhabitants of the earth and yet are on it. Live you, or are you aught that man may question? You seem to understand me by each at once her choppy finger laying upon her skinny lips. You should be women, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. Speak if you can. What are you? All hail, Macbeth! Hail to thee, Thane of Glams! All hail, Macbeth! Hail to thee, Thane of Cordell! All hail, Macbeth! That shalt be king hereafter! <laughs> Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? In the name of truth, are you fantastical, or that indeed which outwardly you show? My noble partner you greet with present grace and great prediction of noble having and of royal hope that he seems wrapped with all. To me, you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me. You neither beg nor fear your favours nor your hate. Hail, 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 lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings, though thou be none. So all hail Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth. All hail. Okay. Um, if I watch that without any reference, I would have no idea. That's but okay. That's, but okay, keep going. But the fact that you told me the story, I, that is him and Banquo, which was the other guy, Macbeth and Banquo, talking to the witches. And they were basically being like, hey, you guys are going to be the kings. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So, But here's the thing, John. I don't know a single Shakespeare production that isn't like a smart Shakespeare production that doesn't have a fucking summary of the play in the program. So in the program, there was a dramaturge note and a summary of the show. 
so that you can know what's going on as it's there and you can pick up on hints, right? Like, so, you know, he doesn't necessarily say, uh, Banquo doesn't necessarily say like, oh, these bitches are witches, right? Like, oh, they, no, he says things like, you look like women, you're not from this earth, but something about your, he says their beards are like the way that they look. And it's like, you're very ethereal. You're not like from here. What magic do you have? And they're like, and so they say to Macbeth, right? And they don't proclaim like, they're not like, this is a prophecy. They're like, oh, I'll hail Macbeth. And like, you're going to be the Thane of Candor. You're going to be the King of Scotland. And then Banquo's like, you can tell me what grain will grow next. If you can do that, tell me about my future then. And then they yeah. put him and they say that, right? So all, everything we just said, it, they all used English. Like uh, you understood it. You could watch it and see. And I, I very much still argue that seeing Shakespeare is always better than reading Shakespeare. And yes, mm. actors start with the scripts, but start with the page and having to read it and then interpret it. But mm-hmm. I, I am a, big proponent and this is just my love of theater and being a playwright that like plays are not always meant to be read they are meant to be seen and there's something about what the director and the actors and the other designers in a production fill in the gaps that a script purposefully leaves yeah in my opinion right like that laugh that banquo has there after Macbeth has given his prophecy and the king of scotland that's not in the show that's not in the script the actors put that in there because Banquo was like (laughs) wait they're serious right Mm -hmm. that's what that means but we as people and as humans can pick up on that so anyway that's cool well thank you that 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 helps me absolutely it helps absolutely okay i want to know about the chris rock and (laughs) i want to know Back to the witches. I Come just, on, like, baby. Give me the witches and the curse. And yeah. So I still want to I still want to do a whole sh- episode on Shakespeare, but that's just to give you a hint, right? So yes. um, the less fun theory <laughs> of why uh, Macbeth is cursed is that it's a short show. It's a short show, but a very popular show. So when theaters would put it on, it usually would cost a lot of money. and But because it was a very popular show, it guaranteed an audience. So theaters that were usually on the edge of financial ruin put it on um, as kind of like a last desperate attempt to get revenue and to come back into the sphere. And usually they just didn't because at that point, the shows, the theaters just fucked. And so Macbeth became associated with like the last production shows with the theaters. Would oh, do. that makes sense. Right. So that 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 was cursed. I like the witches one. Right. So we're going to stick with the witches <laughs> because there's also a very fascinating history behind witch hunting and Scotland. So we're going to go with that route real quick here. I like it. I know. I little, promise little, I'm trying to slight turn to the left. I know. Turn to the left and we'll come back. I promise we'll, we'll I'm coming hit. back to Will Smith and Chris Rock, even though you, I bet you could probably already guess what happened here. But I'm no, I'm still lost. You're still that. lost. OK, well, so anyway, witch hunting became a thing in Scotland because King James the sixth of Scotland, he was famous for his obsession with magic and witches. So like the the his obsession started with the violent execution of his mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, which I know you don't know that history or whatever. It's fine. But Mary, Queen of Scots. And there was a violent storm that he uh, was in uh, when he was at sea where he almost died and he blamed it on witches that conjured this to try and get him to die, like the violent execution of his mother. Um, And so he wrote this treatise that like inspired and allowed and like really gathered people to persecute witches in Scotland. So then in 1603, when he became the King of England, because there was a combining of England and Scotland because of peaceful treaties and stuff. So then he became King James the first of England and people were like, in England, were like, oh, we need to appeal to this new king and we needed to get him to like us. So we're going to like play into his hatred of magic. So Christopher Marlowe, who was another playwright at the time that people said that Shakespeare stole a lot of his shit from, he wrote Dr. Faustus, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, I actually put it in a lot of, I reference it in a lot of shows I write. And that's a, a show about a man who sells his soul to the devil for knowledge. And it was wildly popular, but it also helped fuel this like perpetual fear against magic and witches and sorcery and stuff. And then came Macbeth in 1606, which is kind of where the first production happened. Um, And the first production itself was full of like awful disasters. Right. This is all supposedly, because again, this is, we're talking 1606 here. Yeah. How much accurate record do we have from back? Right. There's not stellar records, which is why, like when we talk about Macbeth, we don't talk about, we don't say it was published in 1606. We say it was published in 1623 because that's when 
the compilation of Shakespeare's plays was written down. So supposedly the actor playing Lady Macbeth in the first production died very suddenly and unexpectedly that Shakespeare himself had to go on for him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is crazy. Also, there were supposed real daggers were used several times instead of the stage props, and actors died on stage oh my during this production. You like think it's like plastic? You yeah, think it's like, you know, like wood or something that just you just like stuck in. So oh, the what whole, the fuck! So the oh, whole thing, right in the heart. Right. So the whole thing is you do not sh- say Macbeth in a theater. You just don't do it. So what what should you say, right? Because Macbeth has been performed several times. You just watched a production of it, right? You just watched a clip. So yeah, what do you say? Uh, um... That's why they say the Scottish play. Ah, full circle. I got it. And that's why they say the Bard's play. It's also known as when you're talking about it as McBee or Lady McBee, the Bard's play, the Scottish King, the Scottish Lady, Lady M. All of those are references to Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. So, quick question. Yeah. If I walked into a theater <laughs> and I happened to say the word Macbeth, what what would happen to me? Would I just be like shunned or like kicked out or like Well, there is like- a way. Oh my god, you soft you pitched this to me so beautifully without even There's knowing. There's the softball, Michaela. I, I know. <laughs> There's actually a way to reverse the curse. So, if you say okay. Macbeth in a theater, chances are that anybody who knows the superstition will be like, fuck you, go outside. And yeah. so when you, no, no, seriously. No, no, I, I believe it. It's just this funny. is the thing. So you have to go outside of the theater to okay. reverse the curse. You have to go outside okay. the theater. You have to spin around okay. three times. You have okay. to spit over your left shoulder and curse. What you curse is like nonspecific. Some people say curse words. Some people recite a line of Shakespeare. Um, like one of the popular ones is if we shadows have offended, which is from Midsummer Night's Dream, like as an apology. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Sorry. And then you can, like, and then you can come back into it. the theater. That's I'm not kidding. That is how you reverse the curse. Have you ever had to actually do that? Or you've never said Macbeth? I've never said Macbeth in a theater. Um <laughs> but, have you known anybody that said Macbeth in a theater? Oh yeah, and I've got stories. So <laughs> <laughs> there are some actually very, very famous stories of people saying Macbeth in a theater and fucking the fuck up, right? Oh my god! So in eighteen, one of the most famous is in eighteen forty-eight. Wow. There's the Astor Place riots that happened in New York, and the Astor Place riots were responsible for the death of twenty-two people and the injury of like hundreds of people, right? In theater, and it was all started because of a feud between two actors, Edwin Forrest and Charles, and William Charles McCready. Both actors were playing Macbeth on two different productions and they were oh arguing about who would be better. So they, yeah. Said it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and in 1937, acclaimed actor Laurence Olivier was almost crushed to death by a stage weight when he was playing Macbeth. Oh my gosh. 1948, Diana Weinard fell off the stage 15 feet into the pit while she played Lady Macbeth after telling a reporter that she thought the curse was ridiculous. Luckily, she wasn't hurt. Um, <laughs> this curse is stupid. Ah, what the fuck? <laughs> basically, um, in nineteen 19- and and what's funny is that um, Lady Macbeth dies by suicide when she's sleepwalking, um, and so Diane Weinard wanted to be as authentic as possible, so she had her eyes closed while she was performing oh the gosh. scene. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I was like, you're an idiot. Anyway, no, 1953, dude. Charlton Heston's tights when he was playing Macbeth had been dipped in kerosene. <laughs> I don't know why, but when what? he was ri- it was an outdoor production, so he was riding on a horse. The combo of the friction with the kerosene in his tights and the horse burned him between his thighs. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's a whole list. Like my personal story is so when I was in high school, I wrote a play called The Tale of Expo and Everett, and we were performing it for kids. Uh, um, in the high school theater and the last production of it I think it was like an afternoon matinee or something somebody some fucking high schooler decided to be cheeky as fuck and say it and I shit you not the curtain broke in the theater that's wild it would not go it would not close it would not open which was essential for set changes in this show ruin the whole goddamn that's thing wild. there's this wonderful article um uh, at theaternerds.com that I'm just going to read a couple of these very cute, quick anecdotes that is seven times someone said Macbeth and things went wrong. <laughs> and these are yeah, just great. quick for people. 
Um, like Emma O says, it was our final show and someone said Macbeth right before curtain. The show went fine. Afterwards, we packed up the auditorium to take the trash out. We bring it up the elevator to save ourselves from carrying it up the stairs. Well, when we went up, the elevator got stuck and the firemen had to come and get us out. Oh, geez. Um, Brianna N said, my senior year of high school, I worked on costumes for West Side Story. Someone in the cast had read the play for English class and someone said it, said the name in the theater. Shortly after, our Maria ended up in the hospital. Tony sprained his ankle and one of the ensemble members shattered his heel during a fight scene at rehearsal. This is all about four days before opening night. Oh, <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Um, Meg S said at community college, we were in the tech week of Taming of the Shrew. An older man who had taught English but had never done theater said it during a prop check. A chair broke and fell. Then the chair fell on him and he broke his shoulder. The light board also buzzed and shorted out and we attempted to do some reverse the curse rituals. Um, but then we just went home. <laughs> So these are like, We're out of here. We're yeah, out of here. So these are Not like working. some really good ones. And so in 2022, Chris Rock congratulated Denzel Washington on his film, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and said Macbeth in the Dolby Theater when no one else had said it yet. What? A little bit later, he was slapped by Will Smith. What? In front of everyone in the slap <laughs> no room around way. the world. That is crazy. So it's not real, but it's a funny joke. And a lot of people went to Twitter afterwards and said, oh, "Oh, he got fucked by the curse of Macbeth. That's why. By saying it in the Dolby Theater. Because there's Tony performances. I'm not kidding. There's Tony performances. Like at the Tonys, if Macbeth was on stage on Broadway, they would not say it. They say the Scottish play. They do not. Like if somebody's nominated, Patrick Stewart for the Scottish play. Wow, that's I'm like serious. how deep that runs. People yeah. are like, no, like they don't we're do not it. saying it. Wow. I read one so, story and I couldn't corroborate this, but there was one story about how a man said it when he was announcing for the Tonys and he slumped over and had a seizure uh, after he said it. I can't corroborate. I can't corroborate that. Right, right. But, but it's like here. That was one of the hearsays that I heard was at the Tonys. He said the Scottish play and then he was like, ha you all thought I was going to say Macbeth. And then literally like two minutes later, he's like still doing the announcements and stuff, falls over and has a seizure. What? The yeah. Fuck? So real quickly, though, there are many of people who do not believe it. There's a great clip of Denzel Washington on the Colbert show where Colbert is trying to not say Macbeth and Denzel Washington just looks at him and goes, Macbeth. And <laughs> And Steve's like, yeah. And he's like, I don't believe that. He's like, I'm a God-fearing man. I don't deal with that shit. And he's like, Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. And he's fine. (laughs) But Patrick Stewart, who infamously, not infamously, sorry. Patrick Stewart, who has famously played the role as well, has said that once you've played Macbeth, you can say it without consequence. Uh, That's his theory. There's a lot of people that say things like that. uh, I like that caveat. Yeah. But that is how Steve, uh, Chris Rock got slapped because of a 400 year old curse done by witches (laughs) in scotland that's great great story mckillie that was awesome yeah so what'd you learn i learned to not say macbeth unless i want to break an ankle or something dude it's in a theater i I can say it in my room but yeah you um, you can say it here we're on a podcast like it's fine you could say i learned i learned that part of me kind of wants to go into it <laughs> i swear to god you're gonna be that fucker do not do it i like not haven't been in like a real player like you know we thought that life. baseball like, players we thought that baseball players were superstitious oh my gosh uh-huh. um i learned i learned that shakespeare that you really need to have a summary of the show before you watch it which is good there's a reason um, that there's scholars for it john right yeah like you know there's yeah he must have just been really really good at what he did he must just it's kind of like okay let's say it this way it's kind of like if someone goes into a baseball game and it's like the highest level baseball game ever but you ask them to keep book or you ask them to keep the stats and do something complicated that is like higher level Mm -hmm. of baseball than anybody who could just go get a hot dog and watch the game and they arrive three innings late whatever Mm -hmm. right Mm-hmm. So there is a certain level of accessibility that comes with Shakespeare, right? So many people know the story of Romeo and Juliet. It is immortalized in so many different adaptations and eras. And even before Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet was a story. So there's an accessibility there that you could probably go and watch a show of Romeo and Juliet. And you know what's going on. For the but most part, yeah. there's scholars, right? People who have studied and, and gotten degrees right. and learned who can dissect the language in the mm. same way that there are people 
who have studied and learned baseball, who can dissect pitches, know what a changeup is versus a fastball, know what RBI means, right? Mm. That's the thing. I gotcha. And they and like yeah yeah and that's like just their interest and that's their passion and that's what they love and that's, that's why that's what they have. we have this fucking podcast right and that's why they're so that's why they love Shakespeare is because like he he seems like he has a lot of depth to him and his language and and his writing right and so that's cool yeah that's cool I like that yeah it's like a picture that like yeah like for me because like when I go watch baseball games with dad like. I'll call out pitches yeah. before they show up on the screen. And my and dad's like, I have no idea what pitch that was. I was like, right? that was a slider. You know, but like anybody that else is, and I know that only because I've watched it, you know, my brain, trained my brain to like be able to pick up on that. But like, yeah, most people know that I have no freaking clue what pitch that was. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it was a pitch. Right. right. That's but that's the cool. thing is that like, when you watched that clip of Macbeth, you could understand what was going on. But I'm yeah, but, sitting here analyzing the text of like, oh, this is what it means when it's a prophecy. Because he's not saying, uh, Benquo, uh, Banquo's not saying, oh, they're predicting the future. He says, if you can tell me what grain will grow the next day, you know, like it's, it's, yeah, it was cool just certain levels. Yeah, because we, wa- we, I watched it and I was like, cool, like baseline level i understand like right. it's witches they're telling the prophecy and then you were like you're telling me yeah and like he you know he had this and then those you're pointing out all the details and i was like oh my gosh like wow that's amazing she just like that's how she looks at it right that's but that's me. the same thing i don't know yeah. what type of pitch it is actually until it hits the strike zone and the announcer fucking tells me like i don't know <laughs> yeah. or a right. little pops right. up on the screen and i'm like oh i know that wasn't a fastball because it was only 87 miles an hour or if it was a supposed to be a fastball it was a really fucking bad one right like right that's, right that's the level of knowledge, but it goes back to why we have this podcast because we are both learning and diving in deeper. Am I going to give you a full fucking Shakespeare lesson? No, please don't. Yeah, <laughs> please don't. Just, just save me. But it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. It is yeah. fun. So yeah, cool. I love that. This is awesome. I love it too. This is a good too. one. I love it. Yay! Greed and power, power and greed. Power and greed corrupts all. Power and greed corrupts. Well, thank you for joining us on Sing Better Sing. Just so you know, we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You also can listen to our episodes on YouTube. Um, we have uh, TikToks and Instagram where you can get little snippets of what we're doing. It's basically just little teasers, but you could still follow us on there. That would be really great. And don't forget to subscribe. I'm Kales. I'm John Michael. And thanks for joining us on Sing, Batter, Sing.